Welcome to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we will be covering a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samoilis. And I'm George Wyeth. We're both product designers currently studying at the University of Sussex. Throughout our episodes, we'll be inviting in fellow designers, professors, and industry professionals to join us and bring us their skills and knowledge to the topics we discuss. This is episode two. Tesla and the rise of electric vehicles. If you don't know who we are or would like more background to the show, I recommend you check out our previous episode, By Design, after this one, where we introduce ourselves, our projects and passions, and discuss where we want to take this podcast. So, George, today we are discussing the rise of electric vehicles. We are indeed. I think the best starting point for this really is what are they like? Where are they now? Yeah, they're seeing a, a pretty big rise. They absolutely are. Um, I feel like I'm seeing more and more of them on the roads every day. Definitely. I don't notice them so much here in the UK, but when I'm in the US, it's every 20 cars is a Tesla. Mm. And I don't even recognize enough car brands to be able to tell which are the Ford ones, which are the, who else makes them, like Jaguar, Nissan, Chevy, you know. Yeah, there's quite a few. As I said, Tesla are the sort of big ones because they've made quite a bold statement about their electric cars. But a lot of car brands are making these purely electric. There's the, yeah, there's the, the Nissan Leaf. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah. The Prius. There's now a Prius, which is not just a hybrid, it's a full electric. Oh, I did I not know that. I think it's called the Prius Prime, something mm. like that. Yeah, so there's a lot of these a lot of these cars that are turning to the electrics. And of course, here in the UK, the, the government are pushing for electrics to be the only cars on the road uh, in the near future. Absolutely. I think they now moved it to the to twenty thirty five. They're banning petrol and diesel car sales. Okay, I think. Fantastic. And it's a good start. It's a good move. Something that needs to happen. But but also there's 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 a very big market here in the UK compared to the US for not having a brand new car. Yes. Um, the US there's a huge amount of car culture around people getting given a car when they turn eighteen kind of thing, and because of the way car loans and payments work, people are usually encouraged to buy them brand new. So I think a 2035 goal for that is actually probably not as good for the environment as it could be considered. Yeah, there are quite yeah. some serious differences between the UK and the US. Obviously, I don't know the US as much as you do on that front, but mm. I think the other thing with the, the UK as well is, is because we're more cramped to, well, not more cramped, but it's, everything's a little bit closer together, which might make it seem like electric vehicles are logical, but we don't have as much space for all their infrastructure. I don't know, it's, I think the UK is certainly behind the US on yes, the uptake. absolutely, but that's also because most of the car manufacturers that are going electric all really started around the US, mm. um, especially with kind of Tesla building this amazing supercharging network. And it's worth kind of mentioning, I think, Tesla in particular, because they are not doing cars like anyone else does cars. Yeah, so Tesla are making a bit more of a stand with their electric cars, though, aren't they? they? They're not selling them as cars and kind of going oh oh and by the way it's electric they're saying straight up front this is an electric car this is supposed to be the future vehicle yes, absolutely and they don't have dealerships they're the, they're the second car company in the u.s to be publicly owned ford is the first you can't buy stocks in any of the others mm. um so that's big given that ford was the first car company that's huge and similarly they don't run with dealerships they don't run with resellers they do it all themselves the whole way through you buy the car online like no other car is sold online but everything else is bought online nowadays so it does feel like the logical 
yeah, they've, they've completely changed the market and updated it to where it really should be. Yeah, and the other interesting thing about them is that they don't have any paid advertisement. Yes, which is fascinating. Which I think is incredible, bearing in mind when people say electric cars, everyone instantly thinks Tesla. Tesla. They, don't, they don't think about all these other brands, all these other little cars that, that are making, starting to make their electric vehicles. It's Tesla, when Absolutely. someone says electric cars. And Tesla's a household name, and along with the fact that you know they released the Cybertruck, which is not even going to be out for at least two years, yet everyone knows the word. Mm. Um, and I think that's quite fascinating, and we will probably do an episode at some point on kind of marketing and design. Yeah. At that point, we can go in-depth into how people market through not marketing. Yeah. Do you think, just quickly, on the following on for the electric cars bit, do you think that the reason that it works for Tesla is because of the fact that Elon Musk is such a eccentric and public person. I think that is part of what sparks it off, but I don't think that alone would have the power to yeah. push it so far, especially given that Elon Musk, you know, as a personality and businessman is fairly problematic. There's a lot that people don't like about him or there's a lot that he does that are kind of questionable choices. Yeah, he's, he's a controversial. Fan- exactly, he's controversial. He's a fantastic inventor and engineer he's not the ideal ceo um and while like he's definitely a huge part of sparking the kind of initial hype i think it's due to the fact that it's new it's cool like no no one did electric cars like tesla did so everyone wants to talk about them oh it's interesting absolutely i also find it interesting that with them that as i was saying most electric cars that other companies are making they're kind of saying oh it's a brand new car by the way it's electric and they're making them look like combustion cars. Tesla, it's it's only a simple change, but they got rid of the air intake on the front because an electric car doesn't need it. And it makes it look unique. It makes it look futuristic. It makes it look sleeker and different. Absolutely. But it was a step that they had to take to go, well, hang on, we don't need that air intake, so why are we putting it on there? Because we don't need it. It's literally like we're trying to cover up the fact that it's electric. And I think something to mention in terms of Tesla's marketing and also that they're doing kind of their unique things, um, and especially as to their being them being a unique car, and I just searched this up, is the way they do test drives. Something like 30% of people who test drive a car buy it immediately afterwards, which is a very high number. That is a high number. Most other cars people test drive, they deliberate, they consider various options. Again, because of dealerships, they'll look at pricing. 30% of people who sit down in a Tesla to drive one around, come back and sign the papers. That's, that, that's impressive. That is impressively high. Mm. And I think that kind of speaks to the Tesla experience. Have you been in one? I've not been in one. I have sat in one before when they brought a Tesla to campus. Uh, it was a Model X and it was just sat around. They had some people talking about it, but that's the closest I've got. I have yeah. actually got a driving experience in one in the summer probably, but Ooh, that hasn't happened yet. Very exciting. Um, so... Uh, family friend of ours has one and although I've not been able to drive it I have been in it and they are they're just something else Mm. it's really amazing and um, that kind of goes for just electric vehicles in general there's this unusual wow factor to it Um, and I think that's probably a good way to kind of move on to one of the reasons I was really excited to talk about this episode is I've had a fair amount of experience test driving electric motorcycles I knew that people were working on these but I didn't really know that they actually existed yeah so they do that there are very much two camps to this right now actually three realistically there are e-bikes which are mostly bicycles that have some kind of pedal assistance um 
get you up to about 20 miles an hour, but you have to pedal the whole time. Um, you've got the kind of moped motorbikes that have pedals still because of a legal requirement, but go up to 25 miles per hour and you don't pedal at all. So they're basically just small size electric bikes, similar to a 50cc scooter type thing. And then you've got full on electric motorcycles that drive like a big motorbike. Um, they're incredibly heavy. That's usually the big thing because of mm -hmm. battery weight. And we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, the experience I've, I've had was with Monday motorbikes. Uh, they're based in San Francisco. And early on, I don't remember how I found out about them, but I wanted to try out one of these bikes. And they're the, they're the middle of the road ones. So you can drive them on the street legally up to 25 miles per hour. They don't have pedals, um, but then they've got a sport mode that will put them up to like 40, 45 miles per hour. Uh, and you're not supposed to do that on the streets. And I absolutely did. Um, <laughs> we were in very quiet roads, but they are just amazing because they've got a hundred mile range. They're really small. The batteries are detachable. So you literally pick it off and can take it inside to charge up. And it really is just a wow factor because at that point, electric cars, when I, that was like 2016 or 15, they were very new and just the whole concept was quite new to me. And it was this sudden realization that I was on this vehicle that was silent. The only sound was the wheels on the road. Yeah, that's one of those weird things about yeah. electric cars. Sometimes I've noticed it just when, I don't know, maybe you're walking around a car park or something like that and an electric car comes up behind you and you don't notice. Yes. Which could be dangerous. Potentially, yeah. And there is actually um, some European laws about electric cars needing to have some level of volume to them. I don't think they ever fully passed through, although don't quote me on that. I can search it up, maybe. Uh, but the big thing was the fact that they are silent, so therefore they're a little bit dangerous. Um, but of course, electric car owners don't want a speaker just pay playing car yeah. noises. But also there is elements of it being silent, which is a good thing, because noise pollution is a Absolutely. massive thing near busy roads. So. If the cars were quiet and it was just the sound of the tires on the tarmac, that would lower the volume a lot. Yeah, and of course, you know, people who like live near a highway and just can never get any silence. If it was an electric system, it would be not a problem at all because that sound of wheels on the road is really heard if you're in the car or if you're right next to it. Yeah. So you have some stats on electric vehicles and the car market and kind of how they've grown. I do. I was having a look last night at um, yeah how the, how the growth of the car market the electric car market has. This is all figures from the US. Okay. Um, that's often what comes up when you search for these, for these sort of things. Absolutely. So, yeah, in 2018, apparently there were 17.2 million vehicles sold in the US. Now, it didn't specify, but I'm presuming that's new vehicles, not including any That, would, that would be new for sure, yeah. Um, and apparently only 361,307 of them were electric vehicles, which is approximately 2% of the sales. Okay, so, so that's still a low number. Yeah. That is, however, up by 81% from 2017. And that's where the, the impressive bit comes in. Yeah. Yeah. So in one year, the number of EVs bought went up 81%. And you can only imagine what that... I'm sure the data for 2019 is probably now available. It probably is somewhere. Um, and similarly, as we go into 2020, with many more electric car manufacturers getting in on this, yeah, it's going to go even higher. There's more and more electric vehicle manufacturers yes and up. similarly we're starting to get to the time where electric cars have been in the market long enough that those that want to buy them second hand are now able to because for a while they just weren't really available due mm. to the fact that they were all very new oftentimes they're expensive so absolutely that's harder for people to get in on as well but with second hands and prices are going down because that initial innovation is becoming more normalized now it's it's starting to lower the price a bit yes absolutely 
with the lowering price as well, it's allowing more access for like more people to the cars because initially electric cars were seen as quite a status symbol. And I think that's one of the things that helped with Tesla where they were making their cars look more unique. The cars themselves stood out. Yes, definitely. And they, t- Tesla's whole plan had always been, we're going to make a sports car. That was the first roadster. Generate loads of income, release a high-end commuter car, which was the Model S. And then from that, release a Model X for the kind of family type thing. And then basically the income they've had from that has then made them be able to make the new Model 3 that was more affordable for the average consumer. Although, of course, it's still quite an expensive car. Yeah, the base model is, I think, still not out yet, or is it out now? It is out. It's 35000 And that's US. apparently the sort of average price of a combustion car. So it's getting getting down there, but that's yes. only the average. That's, that's only the average, and it's worth considering that if you're going to get a Tesla, you're probably, it's not worth getting one if you're not going to invest just a little bit more. Yeah. You've got to think about your charging solution. You've got to think about getting the kind of the autopilot option. Like I I can't imagine buying a Tesla without considering that, giving it this edge of technology that no one else has. Mm. And I think that adds another 4,000 to your cost. Yeah, you can see where the price comes from because of all these different technologies. But yes, definitely. It's about opening up that access to the more general population, which is slowly starting to happen. And and I think as they become more accessible and also as other combustion cars develop, they're going to start to look more and more similar because the kind of the uniqueness of a Tesla will fade, Mm. um, partly because other electric cars coming in and trying their own different sleek designs. And I think, do you think that combustion electric cars should try and kind of blend in together? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I don't think they should quite blend fully, but there's an element of it that the cars are designed to look that way for a reason. It's, It's not just about them looking really sexy it's also their aerodynamics like there are elements of it that have got to come in to play having them electric it removes the need of a front grille which can open up more design opportunities for the shape definitely of the car so i think i think it's important especially at this point where the transition to electric is quite important for you know climate change yeah i think it's important actually to have them stand out because as more and more and more of them are on the road, people that haven't switched to electric yet and maybe can, if they're seeing all these cars and and it's it subconsciously it might be making them think, you know, maybe I should be joining this. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And also, if you have an opportunity opportunity for innovation, why not take it? Exactly, it's the opportunity is there to change the design off of what has been tied to the combustion system. Let's see where it can go. Definitely. So, you know, we're not even there yet, but the Model Y, which is going to be the successor to the Model S and the Model 3, is not even going to have side mirrors. Is it not? It is not, um, because they are going with either an automated or camera-based system, which, again, is just an element of technology that I don't actually personally trust at all, but I can see where it's starting from. Yeah, the camera's an interesting one. I think that could be an interesting and useful way to go, because at the end of the day, mirrors are oftentimes the thing that gets hit. Yes. By something. I've smashed a mirror on a uh, branch that was sticking out into a road. Lovely. So, you know, they're the ones that are just sticking out of the way. And I don't know, but I'm imagining that the aerodynamics of wing mirrors is not that useful. 
to a car. Yeah, I can imagine it's not a huge effect because they're so small. But yeah. at the same time, when an electric car needs to get its efficiency as high as possible uh, due to battery capacity, which again, we're just about to talk about, I think anything helps at that point. Yeah, and as we said earlier, if you don't need them, why not try the innovation? You've got it space goes. to innovate, absolutely. So next up, let's chat viability. So one of the largest issues that faces electric vehicles, and we're going to go on to talk about some other vehicles and how electrification may or may not work. Um, One of the biggest issues is battery capacity. We have this amazing ability to generate and produce a lot of power, and batteries can discharge a lot of power, but they can't store very much without getting incredibly heavy or incredibly big. Yeah, that's, that's been the main challenge for the industry as a whole. And they're making progress, but... Batteries are still heavy. Yeah, even even the best top-class lithium-ion batteries at this point are ridiculously heavy. And we're going to talk about this especially in relation to aeroplanes because a lot of people discuss like electric aviation and we could have electric planes and it's really not going to be possible for large-scale flights with people in them for a very long time. Yeah. At the moment, for context with Tesla, given we've just been talking about them... Tesla doesn't actually produce their own batteries, although they would like to start doing that. So they've just recently partnered on a big factory where they're going to try and make their own batteries. Uh, At the moment, they buy them from Panasonic. I didn't know that. So Panasonic is one of the three companies globally that kind of makes batteries. I think them and two others are responsible for 70% of batteries produced worldwide. And Panasonic sells their large, flat, lithium-ion, high-tech stuff to Tesla, one battery pack for $10,000. I think that price has gone down, and obviously with Tesla's and Panasonic's deal, they're going to try and produce a much, much cheaper alternative. But if you think about that in relation to a $35,000 car... I was going to say, that you can see where the cost is coming from. Exactly. The battery is the cost. If Tesla has to buy those batteries at cost price as opposed to making them themselves, that's the biggest issue. Yeah, and they're not going to want to sell their cars on for not any profit. Exactly. Need profit to run the company. They're so. still expensive cars to build because they're new cars, and then they've got some profit in there. So really, thirty-five thousand dollars when they only have twenty-five thousand dollars to play with. It's a, it's amazing that they've managed to get it down to that mm. for what the car is as well. Yeah. You've got to remember this is quite a high-end, high-spec car. It is, and if you compare that to the average cost of an electric vehicle, which you have down as forty-five thousand six hundred fifty-five. Yes, that's, that's already very impressive. That's, yeah, that's dollars um, in the US. That is dollars in the US. Obviously, they're still more expensive than gas cars for the most part. And this Tesla Model 3 base model is the very much cheapest. And realistically, you're not going to pay that. You're going to pay more. Yeah. But at the same time, you're not paying for fuel. Often you're going to get a tax reduction uh, depending on where you live. I know in California, you immediately get $5,000 from the state if you buy an electric car. Um, That's a cool incentive. That is a huge incentive. Obviously, like it'll it'll be given back in taxes. So if you mm. pay more than five grand in taxes over the year, they'll just refund that. If you pay less than that, they'll then just give you cash. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, the way it works in the UK is it's just you have your tax brackets based on your emissions Mm. and the size of your car. So, yeah, you don't pay any road tax if you've got an electric car. That's very cool. And I think one of the big bits of the infrastructure and the viability for people when it comes to this battery capacity is we've got these cars that, you know, are hitting 250-mile ranges. But if they have to stop for a day to recharge, which is often the case with home chargers... That's not viable. And the biggest thing here is really the fact that supercharger networks are the core of what makes electric cars possible. Mm. And they're non-existent in the UK. Yeah. The US, because really because of Tesla, it is absolutely because of Tesla, there's now a huge supercharger network. 
I don't think you can be further than 100 miles away from one while in the West Coast US. Yeah, I think I saw a map of where they are the other day. And yeah, there's a lot of them, mostly along the, the West Coast. Yeah. More along the East Coast again as well. It's that central area the where yeah. if you're li- living more rurally, it's just not viable yeah, to go struggle. And again, like along the major highways throughout the middle of the US, they do have regular superchargers. Mm. But if you live between two major highways and kind of 100 miles in each direction, or 200 even, the US is huge, you're going to struggle. And in the UK, it's a much worse situation. Yeah. Yeah. The thing the thing that's interesting about it, though, is the supercharger network is only really for long journeys. Yes, it's, absolutely. The whole idea of it is that you charge it up overnight, and it just kind of tops up whatever you've used during the day. Yeah. And for the average commuter, it's not an issue, really. Yeah. But let's be honest, at some point, someone's going to want to drive to their parents or drive to a friend who lives a little bit further out. And if it's a serious kind of, you can only go this distance, that stops people. Mm. And, you know, just having to stop for half an hour is okay, because actually when you're doing those sort of long journeys, you probably want to stop for half an hour, stretch your legs, have a sandwich sort of thing. I think you you often see arguments from people saying, well, you can just fill up your petrol tank in five minutes. I think it's actually better that it forces you to stay because of health reasons. And like, also, you're going to be a better driver if you're not tired. Mm. And if you have to stop, grab a coffee, grab some food, take a walk, whatever it is, you're going to be much more attentive while you're in that seat. Yeah, I suppose the only argument you could see against that is with Tesla implementing self-driving features, and yes. I'm sure that's going to increase. You don't need to be as attentive when you're driving. I uh, Yeah, I can understand that, but at the same time, you know, charging's only going to get faster too. Yes. Exactly. I don't think it's a reason to not get an electric car. No, it's not. The interesting thing about that, though, is, you know, we were saying you can charge it overnight, which is fine if you have a driveway. You know, I... At my parents' house, we've got a driveway. It's fine. If we wanted to get electric stuff set up, we easily could, mm. probably. The issue is, you know, where I live down here in Brighton, I'm parking on the street. I'm yeah. not always going to be parking right outside my house necessarily. And that's it's not viable then to have electric cars because you can't charge it from your house overnight because, well, you know, you could get back from work and find you've got to park around the corner yes. and someone else is in your spot. And there's a lot of issues there that are going to need solving. But, you know, similarly, like if you're really in that position, you can always often a lot of workplaces are starting to have car chargers now. So it's it's obviously it's not good. And there's still need people are going to have to like I I can't think of a solution for that. Realistically, no, unless there's large kind of, you know, charges at every parking spot thing done by the government. Well, that's the thing. But then could someone steal your someone could still steal your spot and not be using your charger. Yes. And well the idea was every every spot has a charger so no matter yeah. which spot. But of course that's like a huge long-term goal that we're not going to see for a very long time. But there are a lot of workplaces that have chargers now. It can be as simple as as you're getting lunch in the middle of the day, you go somewhere where you can mm. charge. Obviously it's still restrictive, but I don't think it's possible. No, and I think the way people live and work is changing as well so people do travel quite long distances now i mean i've had this conversation with my dad who does a lot of driving around the uk because he has to go visit sites all over the uk and you know he has a rented car um for like a few years yes and there's no point in him looking at an electric car yeah because there's not the infrastructure in place for him to drive all the way to the other side of wales and back home in a day absolutely he can't do it but he needs to so there's, yeah, there's an element of it where, A, the UK's supercharging network needs to get better. But yeah, it's just that range is sort of needed. And I think that's a really important fact is that we're not going to be able to completely say goodbye to petrol and diesel power. And, you know, in those kind of situations, the next best thing is a hybrid. 
something like a Prius is always going to do a lot better in terms of energy than a regular car. It's an interesting shift. You know, people generally are picking up hybrids, or even if they're only very slightly hybrids, it's most cars are shifting in that direction. Yes. I said, I think petrol cars will always still exist as a hobby. Yes, for sure. Uh, that's that's one of the things I don't think will ever go. You see a lot of people complaining, like, oh, where's the fun going to be if we've lost petrol cars or the, no- the noise and stuff like that? But I think that's still going to exist. It's just going to be in a different sense. It's the same yes. as, like, when cars became the standard mode of transport over horses, you know? Where's people, the... F- people? I, I want to own my horse still, but people, people still, still go do. To, people still go to horse races. Yeah, it's very true. Um, so I think that that still will happen. It's just going to be a case of changing the perceptions on what's just the normal tra- mode of transport and what's more of a entertaining Definitely. mode of transport. Um, but outside of personal vehicles, this battery weight issue is something that is truly blocking kind of innovation in the places where combustion engines are doing some of the most damage. And the big one there is aviation. Mm. Um, I found quite a few bits of research and videos about like electric planes and are they a possibility? And the big thing is batteries are 40 times heavier than the average fuel. Yeah. And that's, that's a big number. That's a big number. You can compare basically big, you know, big planes like the average Airbus, you know, intercity thing, probably not into not as big as inter- intercontinental planes, but within Europe, those kind of planes versus like two-seater Cessnas, which mm. are very small prop planes. And you can immediately see that the weight and power needed to get one in the air versus the other is so hugely different that trying to convert that to battery is just impossible for the larger ones. For a plane like a Cessna, if you tried to make it electric, you would basically cut the range in half based on the weight that you're adding. Mm. But this is a plane that can usually get at a very maximum carrying 100 kilos in total. So basically one person in a bag, it can get about four hours worth of distance. So that cuts it to two, which is not terrible in terms of short hops and city stuff. Yeah. Um, But when it comes to a big plane, an A320, uh, which can fly seven hours on a full tank, gets cut to 20 minutes. That's not even enough time for it to get to its maximum cruising altitude. There's barely enough time to take <laughs> off. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing as well. Is you yeah. think when you've been on a plane like that, how long do you sit in a queue on the ground yeah. waiting to get onto the runway? They would have to remain plugged in up until the last minute. Yeah. On a, just a very long extension cable. <laughs> um, but one example of an electric plane that has actually kind of worked is the Alpha Electro, which is a two-seater Cessna-style thing. Flies for about an hour. But on a commercial scale, it's just never going to happen at the moment. Energy density... We're so far away from finding something good. And this is the same issue with maths adoption of sustainable energy options. It's all of, you know, wind, hydro, all of those rely on charging up batteries, basically, um, unless they're directly tied to a grid, which is less common than it should be. Mm. Whereas compared to storing energy in coal, storing energy in oil or gas, it's a perfect medium to just store things because you burn it and it's there. So until we have a battery solution, we're going to see a huge plateau on innovation in this I think the only option for planes would be once they are up in the air, high up, they go electric. Yeah. Even that, I'm unsure. Do you reckon you can get a hybrid plane? Not at the moment. They don't exist. I did check. But I think the concept is possible because currently, when when people talk about the environmental damages of air travel, the biggest thing is the takeoff. Mm. That does the most pollution. What what would you say is the second? I feel like it it might be something ridiculous, just like the luggage. Or, like, the, the amount of weight you've got to carry? It's the taxiing the around taxiing. the airport. So while the plane is pulling back from the gate, going up to the runway and all of that, 
That is the second worst bit for climate and emissions of the entire journey. Mm. If it's an 11 hour flight, the first bit's that 20 minute takeoff and the next bit's that 20 minute taxi. Yeah. The 10 hours and 20 minutes in the air, obviously it's not good. It's a much, much smaller number. Yeah, because obviously it's when it's in the air, it's just got to keep an average speed. It's there's all the tailwinds and stuff, isn't there? So. Exactly. So I think it would be quite possible for a plane to go electric or semi-electric in that longer period, which of course is still not dealing with the primary source of emissions, but no, it's better. Helps a lot. It's progress. Absolutely. And I mean, it does make you think though. If, if the second worst bit is when you're on the ground, when you're sat there, I've been sat on a plane before for over an hour waiting on the ground in a queue. That's not good for the environment, is it? No, and and that's one of the the other thing is what could help us so much that doesn't require any kind of big technological shift is just better infrastructure in airports, yeah, and better organizing and logistics so that you don't have delays. That would make a huge dent in the carbon emissions. Yeah, it probably would. UK is certainly not good at it. No, absolutely. <laughs> but obviously. With planes, you know, that's for lo much longer distance travel. But, you know, short flights could be cut down, especially if you built up better public transport systems, trains, and those sort of things, which could all shift to electric much more feasibly. Definitely. And many already have. Um, there are a lot of electric trains in Asian countries. We don't have them here in the UK for the most part. Um, but especially short distance trams, tubes, underground, all of that, that's all electric already. Mm. And it's just powered by the grid. And for that kind of thing, it's fantastic. Rails are really just long cables. So electric trains really can be completely implemented right now. Yeah, I mean, in Europe, I know there's a lot more electric trains than there is in the UK. Yes. Um, when you go to Europe, go to France, you see they've got all the overhead cables. Yes. And you do see them here, but obviously not a lot of the trains use them. It's definitely something that could change and should improve at a drastic level. Unfortunately, mm. the same energy density issue comes in when you talking about trucks and shipping. So having an electric truck isn't actually that feasible because once you have the battery weight necessary to pull such a heavy load, you can't carry so much of you know whatever you need to carry, which then doesn't make it profitable, which of course will stop people from doing mm. it compared to a diesel truck, which uses a lot of fuel, but fuels cheap. Exactly. Yeah. Fuel, I mean, fuel prices probably will rise. Yes, but they're still incredibly low. Yeah, compared to the cost that it would, it would cause to have an electric truck. Yes, even though recharging at a supercharger is half the price of filling a tank of fuel, you'd have to do it so much more often and you'd have half the storage space because of the size of that battery. Mm. It's all coming back to the weight of batteries, really, isn't it? It's all coming back to the weight of batteries, which is the core issue why this, outside of personal vehicles, where the industry is completely booming, there's a pause because we've kind of peaked a little bit. Obviously, people keep talking about all the time it comes up in the news of these style, like automated vehicles that are these small pods with sliding doors and they fit like four people in them. And you type in on a fancy screen where yeah. you want to go. There was one in the design museum. There, were, there is, yeah. It looks so sci-fi. They're, they're incredibly sci-fi. And they keep being talked about and tested. And you see a YouTube video of one driving around and someone crosses the street and it stops because, look, it's all magical. But like, how soon is that really going to become a mass transit solution compared to like Uber in a major city? On an, a mass transit system, I, I, I yeah. think it's going to take a while. We've got already things like that because there's the is it Heathrow that has the pods, yes. but they're on tracks. They're, they're not are. rails, but they're, they're literally like roads, yeah. but they're very much, you can't get off them. It's yeah. just a set track. Um, but you know, that doesn't really count. Like we're, we're talking vehicles that you type in where you want to go and it'll take you there. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I can see this happening within the next few years in large-scale business parks, like the Apple campus, the Google campus, those mm. kind of places, they could easily implement this because there's very low traffic. They have the money to put, you know, fancy lights and reflectors at every single stop sign kind of thing, and then it would work. But it's just too unpredictable. You couldn't do this in London. No, I mean, London's too busy, and they're trying to get cars off the road in London anyway. Exactly. I think people treat this as if it's just around the corner, but really it's a long way off, if yeah. ever, in the implementation that we see in these fancy marketing videos. Also, the other thing I want to mention with those sort of things is they say it's all like, oh, we can share all these cars, but not, no, no one sits on a bus or a train and thinks, oh, this seat's really nice and it's nice and clean in here. Everyone's like, who's sat here before? So they're going to have to find a way to solve that sort of issue as well because there is a public hygiene sort of side of things as well. That and if it's a little solo pod, God knows what people will be doing in the Well, exactly. You don't know what someone's been up to in there. Exactly. But onto some other options. We've got the electric scooters, like those made by Lime and Bird, uh, and even Uber is starting to do them, often in the US. They're not yet legal here. Yeah, it's a weird one because it's to do with it having a motor okay. and being able to hit a certain speed. It then needs a license, and yeah, it's uh -huh. it's weird. The police don't tend to crack down them too much, really, as long as people yeah, are actually I've, using them. I've seen people using them all the time, and it never seems to be an issue. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's just an outdated law, but technically they are still illegal. Uh, yeah, in the US, as long as they don't go above 22 miles per hour, you can use them, ride in bike lanes, whatever it is. So how a lot of these scooter companies work is you can park them anywhere, just on the sidewalk, next to a lamppost or a street sign, and then you come over with your app, you scan the QR code, it turns on, you drive it around. Um, which is great because it means you can park and go from anywhere, which is much better than having a docking system. Obviously, it requires a certain element of trust because people can just kind of pick them up and throw them places. Early on, when people weren't so sure of their adoption, there were tons of photos of them in the top of trees and in rivers. But as people started to kind of get used to them and realize that they're quite useful, that kind of went down. But similarly, this is a charging issue because what happens is they then have to pay people, similar to like how you have an Uber driver, these scooter companies pay people to drive around and collect these scooters at night, take them home, plug <laughs> them in, and then distribute them in the morning. Yeah. And you have the same thing with kind of the Boris bike style things, um, bike share systems. We mm. shouldn't call them Boris bikes. Um, that's only the London ones. That's only the London home. Yeah, so bike shares in San Francisco, New York, London, Paris. Um, some of them have tried to kind of add a little electric pedal assists. Yeah. The ones in Brighton, Life Bikes, you see them around quite a lot. I've not tried them, but... Do they have pedal assist? I'm not sure. I think they might have solar panels on them, but that might be just to just charge their QR codes and yeah, I, I'm tracking and stuff. They always look like they have some kind of pedal assistance because of how big they are. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I discovered in researching this, though, was an electric bus system being developed by Volvo in Luxembourg. Okay. Um, and we have we have electric buses here in Brighton. Yep. Um, but they're semi-electric, so they, they, they're electric within the central area, and as they leave that, they switch to petrol, which is actually... Not as cool as it sounds on all their marketing. I, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're in that North North Street, right, going yep. up through Churchill Square, for people who don't know Brighton. It's a big street with lots of stuff. It's one of the most polluted streets in England. And because of that, the bus company, who has tons of buses running through there, almost all of their routes go through that area, mm. uh, they said, right, we're going to make the buses that go through there the most electric. And everyone was like, oh, that's really cool. What they didn't tell us was the second they leave that area, they switch to petrol. And these ones in, in Luxembourg... The idea is every few bus stops, they actually charge as they arrive in the stop. So See, that's a great idea because that's picking up on something yeah. which buses are stopping at anyway. So what they do is, you know, regular bus will stop at a bus stop for like two minutes, if not less, you know, seconds. 
every five or so bus stops, I think they can travel 20 miles before they need to charge and they'll stop and it takes six minutes to fully charge the bus. See, that's quick. So what, yeah, it's incredibly quick. And what it is, is it's a little kind of plug at the top and the bus stop has a thing that leans over the top of the bus and just bends down and quickly plugs in. So it automatically does it when the bus yeah, stops. When the, when the bus stops, it just drops down. I think the driver has to like accept yeah. that they want to do it. Um, and they'll charge for, you know, let's say four minutes or maybe the full six minutes. It kind of depends. And it means it's just a fully electric system that are recharged on the go. Which, and they don't need big batteries because they only need a 20-mile range. Mm. And I don't think they ever actually use that full range. That's just a safety thing. And I think that's a fantastic solution. Um, obviously, it's quite a bit more expensive. Yeah, but it's something which the price of that might decrease as absolutely. the infrastructure gets put in place more. And, and that is a you know I, an example of, of, I don't think that's all of Luxembourg's public transport, but it's a good amount of it mm. has become this bus system, which is just fantastic. Yeah, I, I didn't know about that. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's a good, good way of using bus stops because a lot of things, not even related to travel necessarily, but a lot of things are tying into bus stops being just regular points on streets. Yeah. And so why not charging? Exactly. Make make more use of them. So, what do we think then? Are electric cars the future? Do we reckon it's going to be all about public transport in the future, or is there going to be something else? I think for personal vehicles, we're absolutely going to see it. We've already seen from Tesla and other companies that are being so successful that there's no reason why they shouldn't be widely adopted. For public transport, especially like aviation, it's not going to happen, at least not for a long time. For buses... We're going to get there. Probably hybrid is going to be the big thing for now. For trains, they should be there already. We've got electric train solutions that have worked for years because rails are just big cables, and no one's done that. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that you're absolutely spot on with it, really. It's, it needs to be both, yeah. I, th- I think, is the, is the answer. Because having grown up in more of a village sort of location where stuff isn't, you know, walking distance, I don't think public transport is the answer there. You know, there's a bus that goes to my village twice a day. Yeah. And that's just not enough. And I don't think making electric systems is going to solve that. So you still need cars, but I think certainly for bigger cities and commuting, those sort of networks absolutely should be electric. Uh, Absolutely. And I think, you know, battery technology is only going to get better. And similarly, I'd be interested to see how these kind of electric scooter bicycle solutions that have worked so well in big cities, how could they be applied to smaller towns and villages? Because, you know, for people who don't necessarily want to have to drive everywhere, if you could get a pedal assist bike to get around your village and you, you know, had to go from one side to the other, mm. why not, you know? I think that's going to be more of a case that there won't be as much of the systems of having loads of them on the streets yeah. for public access. It'll be more of a case of people will adopt their own yes, so they can get definitely. across town and back yeah. sort of thing. And as they become more affordable, you're going to see individuals buying them because of that. Yeah, and I think that's only a good thing. I think there's the other interesting element of it as well that we haven't really touched on is the idea of automation in these abilities. Obviously, Tesla are bringing in self-driving mechanisms, which are, you know, they're getting somewhere. It's impressive, the technology, but it's nowhere near there yet. It's got a long way to go, but it it is going very quickly at this point. And it's an interesting idea of this Internet of Things discussion that's been going on around it as well, that if there was a massive network of all these different transport systems, all electric, that were all interconnected, you know, with the web, and they could communicate with each other, you know, it could remove traffic, yes, in essence. Definitely. Because it could route certain things around different things and very complicated, you know, computing. But it's a possibility that we could be going towards, and it's certainly one that some bigger companies are looking into. Yeah, once, once everything's connected, you immediately have this ability to do great things that you can't when not everyone's on the same page. 
But similarly, I think Internet of Things would be actually a topic worth discussing in its own at some point. Yeah, I certainly think it could be. I yes. mean, there's risks with who's accessing the data and stuff like yeah. that. Big thing on data privacy, but also there's so much you can do with it if you do mm. it right. And I think in general, like obviously electric vehicles, we've not really talked about this because it's not something worth talking about. A lot of people always bring up, oh, but it's still kind of national grid, which isn't clean. <laughs> and I, I'm glad we didn't touch on that because yeah. it is a pointless argument. Electric cars and vehicles are so much more efficient than their petrol counterparts. I think diesel engines get like a 30 something percent efficiency, mm. whereas a good electric car is over 80 percent. So it's yeah. not even an argument. And of course, our nationally supplied power across the world is only going to get better. A lot of countries are going super green. I'm always surprised by developing countries that you'd think are more focusing on other matters already have an amazing set of green energy going. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've been at this interesting point where they can develop it from the ground up. Exactly. It's harder to switch than it is to initially set up. Absolutely. Basically. And that's something that's just truly amazing. Yeah. Electric cars, sure. The electricity is coming from a power plant somewhere. But to be honest, even if it's coming from a power plant, that's better than burning it yourself because the power plant will have better situations in place to control. How designed to be efficient as possible. Exactly. Yeah. And those power stations will be crumbling and being replaced with solar panels, wind farms, all that sort of stuff in the near future anyway. And hydrogen fuel is absolutely a possibility at some point. Yeah, I think that's, it's an interesting one that people don't talk about much. And I think it's because there's more risks in it. I think people just see it as like a, oh, it's just finding another fuel source when it's, it's not got the impact, but, Obviously, you've got to think about where this hydrogen is coming from. And, and it's it's just, it's new, it's different, it's expensive, it doesn't mm. really work yet. It's so far out. It's like people talking about, is it nuclear fission or fusion? Fusion's the one that they haven't managed to get, because that's the you one know, that the sun does. So fusion's the one that we can't figure out how to do. Yeah. It's very safe. There's no danger of kind of radiation. Yeah, and it's so energy efficient. It is incredibly energy efficient. We know it exists because the sun does the it. The sun literally does it. We don't know how to do it ourselves. And uh, people don't think about that because it's just not a thing yet. And I mm. think that's very similar with hydrogen fuel. It's just too far down the line to actually be a realistic option. Yeah. And I think people also, when they hear about hydrogen fuel, worry about its explosive nature. Yeah. Obviously, you know, petroleum is explosive. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But because the system's already in place and you don't hear of cars exploding all the time, people don't worry about it. And it's the same um, thing with nuclear power. It's become very, very safe recently. But yeah. Because of its terrible history, people are skeptical. And understandably so. Yeah, I mean, with nuclear power, I think the danger is when it does go wrong, it, it goes, goes really wrong. wrong. Yeah, Hydrogen, again, some people might see it similar. You know, some of the like, blimps and stuff like that used hydrogen. Oh, yeah. And big those boom. are big disasters that big are well known. Big boom. Well, on that lovely note, I think this concludes our episode. I think it does. It's been really interesting. It has been. There's so much to talk about with this. Absolutely. And it's been a fascinating journey into our electric vehicles. It has been, and they have so far to go every way they do but it's an exciting exciting future for them so make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode we'll be releasing one in two weeks if you enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends your family co-workers cat dog all of them budgie um, yeah budgie Ooh, budgie share it with your budgie um, unlike videos and blogs we don't have an algorithm or some kind of recommendation system so we rely on you yes we do um, so follow us on Instagram at assemble.it for a deeper look into the show our own work and some behind the scenes outtakes projects and all those sort of things and we'll also be updating you when there's new podcast releases uh, once more remember to subscribe to the podcast share it among your friends family and budgie and we'll see you in two weeks with our next episode thank you very much for listening 